graduating from seminary, my Master of Divinity, our very last paper we had to write is to come up with your metaphor of ministry. If you had to describe ministry in a metaphor, what will it be? And I chose to use the image of a crossing guard. At the time, Casey and I lived right by an elementary school, so we saw this play out every day. Here in Memphis, my kids for eight years were a part of this uh, either Snowden Elementary or Snowden Middle School down by Rhodes College. Do I have any snow dog green dogs in the house or uh, Snowden green dogs in the house? Anybody? All right, well, there's nobody here. All right, but that's where my kids went. And it's a bit, you know, East Parkway trying to go downtown. I mean, it's crazy down there, right? Four lanes. At one point, it was six lanes. So there were two crossing guards. And one thing I noticed about crossing guards is when they do their job right, they don't just stop traffic and pat kids on the back and wish them luck as they go through the intersection. And they don't stand on one side of the intersection and when it looks clear, wave the kids to come to them. They hold up a stein, stop traffic, and they walk with the children through the intersections of the road. And I thought about this, how it plays out in our faith. This is what Jesus does for us. Jesus doesn't just stay on one side of eternity and wave you to come to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't stand on this side of eternity. And when you surrender your life to Christ, just give you a pat on the back and wish you luck as you go through the crossroads and the intersections of life. Jesus joins us as we walk through crossroads and intersections of life. And this is how I love to think about ministry, that as somebody who has given their life to full-time ministry, I'm not just trying to wave people into deeper faith or faith in Christ or pat them on the back of, hey, good luck as you go through life. But when we do ministry right, incarnationally, incarnationally, the way Jesus taught us to, we are walking with people through life. And this is how the church does the church too, right? This is how we live out what it means to be the church. So we're not just patting people on the back or patting the graduating seniors on the back today saying, hey, good luck in life. We're not just waving them into deeper faith, but what you have done for 18 years for some of them, for a number of years for some of them, is you have been the village. You have been those who have come alongside of them, walking them through life. I want to show you just a quick verse, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. It's just meant a lot to me over the last week or so of my life. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, I mean, you get this idea of a crossroads. And here's how it plays out in Jeremiah chapter 6. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Like, isn't that good? Like, isn't this what you want for life? Like, isn't this what you want for graduating seniors and for your children and your grandchildren and for you? That when you stand at the crossroads of life, you're asking two things. What were the, what's the ancient path? So you're like looking in the back, like what is the ancient path? Like how have I seen God's faithfulness in my life? And what is the good path moving forward? And then when you receive an answer for asking about the ancient path and asking about the good way or the good path, when you receive an answer, you walk in it. Like you're going to move. And as you move, there's rest for your soul. Like is this not what we want for everyone we love, for the world, and for ourselves? But here's how it played out in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, because that's not the entire verse. The way it goes is that this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. How about that for like a punch in the gut? You didn't see that coming, right? Like, here's the, look at the ancient past. Look at the good way. Walk in this way. Live the courageous life. Follow Jesus. And then here are the people of God in Jeremiah 6 who have been given the ancient path, given the way forward, and they choose to not walk in it. 
which is exactly what we don't want for our graduating seniors, our children, our grandchildren, for ourselves, and for the world. I'm starting a new series today. It's going to go for a few weeks. We're calling it Squad, just why we need each other. It's going to be based on Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We're going, to been, we're going to spend six weeks talking about the power of connection and the power of community. Because right now, we have never lived in a time where it's easier to stay connected to people all over the world. Right now, I could pick up my phone, I could send a text message, or I could FaceTime people in every continent, probably every country on this, on this planet, and I could get in touch with them in a matter of seconds. And though we have more ways to stay connected to people, we have more people feeling disconnected, maybe than ever before. People feeling lonely, isolated, depressed. So before we move forward, and I'm going to try to talk in about 15 minutes this morning. We've had a, it's already been an amazing day today. Uh, I just want to celebrate a few things uh, about our church. I, I, I'm so thankful for this church. The 901 offering came back, and usually that first week we give, and we may be just a few, uh, you know, a, a little under, and we're only about 10,000 away from our goal. And I, d- I do want to thank you, because when it comes to the 901 offering, especially through COVID, we had six special offerings, uh, two in 2000, or 2020, 2021, 2022, and you exceeded the goals in a time that was really difficult. You never cease to amaze me. I thank you for, I, I thank God for his faithfulness in this church. Our attendance, and though we measure things here that is far beyond attendance when it comes to the health of our church, our attendance is better than it's been since before COVID. Our online audience still remains. We have around 130 screens with us every weekend, and we don't know exactly what that means numerically. It could be 130 people, or preacher count is probably 1,500, all right? It's a lot of people online with us right now, and we thank you for all of you who join us every Sunday. Our weekly contribution is staying strong, and it's not just because there's one or two families who are are giving $15,000 a week. It's because many different family units, many of you, You believe in the mission, the vision, the purpose of this church, and we can't thank you enough for that. We can't thank God enough for that. This past week was Teacher Appreciation Week, and you saw a few images pop up of how we served our three adopted schools. I just want to see a show of hands right now for our public school, private school, homeschool teachers, administrators, people who work on the staff of these schools. Will you just raise your hand where you are? And can we put our hands and thank them for all they do? Because I am not taking anything away from Tyler, Annika, and Anna, but you are some of the best youth ministers and children's ministers we have in this city. So thank you for, for all you do. And then we also, I mean, this is the day we're celebrating our graduating seniors. Most of you were born in 2004, 2005. It feels like five years ago, 18 years ago. And there are a few things that happened in 2005. I'm going to hit these events really quick. When it came to the Grammys in 2005, the new artist of the year was Maroon 5. Maroon 5 beat out Kanye West. And any of us who know Kanye at all, he probably wasn't very happy about that. Uh, that year, the record of the year was Green Day. The album of the year is one of my favorite all-time bands, U2. When it came to the Oscars that year, the male and female artists of the year was Jamie Foxx and Hilary Swank. The movie of the year was Million Dollar Baby. It won a number of awards. 18 years ago is when Hurricane Katrina happened, and it's also the year that gave birth to what has become many of our best friends, YouTube. 18 years old. 
It's also, if you go to the next image, what did I have next? Uh, the, when it came to just sports, the Chicago White Sox won the World Series. San Antonio Spurs won the NBA championship. And the New England Patriots cheated or won the Super Bowl. Again, I'm just joking, all right? I know, I know we got Patriot fans in the house. And our Memphis Grizzlies in 2005 look like this right here. This is back in the days, right? And not only that, the Lord sent a new family to this church 18 years ago in 2005, and there are the Hinkles who joined us 18 years ago. And am I not, I'm probably not the only one. I want Goatee Jim back. Anybody else? Get a little Goatee Jim. All right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Let me read it. I want to make a few comments about this, and I look forward to unpacking this a little bit more in the weeks to come. Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. They devoted. Right? They devoted. Circle that word in your Bible if you're taking notes. They devoted themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I want you to take a few notes this morning, if you don't mind, because I'm going to hit some of this stuff really quick. And one thing is this, Acts chapter 2 is not just about how people get saved. It's what saved people do. It's about how people get saved. Don't get me wrong. But Acts chapter 2 isn't just about how people get saved and then a pat on the back and wish them luck in life. It's what do saved people do. Now there are some who would argue that the book of Acts, the thesis of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus says, you are going to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's like this ripple effect. And some people read Acts through that lens. Some people argue that the thesis of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 2 verse 42. This is what the church does. They devote themselves to the apostles' teachings. They devote themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Some people see that as this is what's going to be played out throughout the rest of the book of Acts. So let me focus on those four things real quick in verse 42. And if you want to make any notes about it, make notes. Because the apostles' teachings is simply about the life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's it. So the apostles' teaching in the book of Acts isn't about being a stronger church, though the rest of the New Testament will talk a lot about that. The apostles' teaching in the book of Acts is to make much of Jesus in your life so that you understand what Christ has done for you and that we make much of Jesus in the church. He's always the hero of the story. That is the platform the church is built on. When you think fellowship, and this is important if you're taking notes, when you think fellowship, I don't want you to think hanging out with friends. Fellowship in the New Testament, fellowship in Acts 2.42 isn't just hanging out. Fellowship had depth and it had substance. It was that we are together as people who are following in the ways of Jesus. And though we may be hanging out, there's going to be some depth and substance to what we do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, which was making much of Jesus, to fellowship that they're going to grow in community. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, when you think breaking of bread, sometimes we think table fellowship. We think sitting at a table and there's the red lobster biscuits, there's the olive garden breadsticks. You know, we are breaking bread. And there are some in Acts 2 who look at Acts 2.42. 
who read about breaking bread and they think and they argue that this is about table fellowship. And there are others who argue that this is about the Eucharist. This is breaking bread as in what we do every Sunday when we take the bread and we take the cup. And I tend to fall on the side of those who believe this is about the Eucharist. That in Acts 2.42, the church started getting together a lot, and when the church got together, I think the bread and the cup was just a part of what they would do regularly. They were so amazed about what Christ had done for them and the community Christ had brought together that when they got together, whether it was Sunday or not, the Eucharist became a part of their meal because that is what was holding the community together. And the fourth thing was prayer. And if you want to see how the early church prayed in the book of Acts, read Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through the rest of the chapter. Read uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, where the way they prayed in Acts 4 is the walls of the place they were in were shaken because the Holy Spirit filled the room. Read Acts chapter 12, especially Acts chapter 12, verse 5, when Peter's, Peter is in prison and the church stays back to pray for Peter. So here's what I want you to notice. Just so with those four things right there, is all of those are in community. So the book of Acts, and I would go ahead and say the whole New Testament, is not just about helping people have better quiet times in your life. Though I'm a, I'm a proponent of quiet time, God time. Like I want people, I think people, not just ministers and elders and, and, and uh, adult volunteers should be have, you know, praying every day and in their Bibles every day. Like if you are a believer in Jesus, I think time with God on a regular basis every day is very important to spiritual health and vitality. But the book of Acts isn't just about how to help people have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is a phrase that doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible, though I'm all for it. The book of Acts is about a community of people coming together in the name of Jesus to live out the values Jesus has given to the community. That's it. So Lacey, will you back up real quick to this about Exodus? I want you to see how Exodus plays out. In the book of Exodus, you have three major moves. You have a bunch of slaves who have been slaves for over 400 years and they are waiting on breakthrough. This is Exodus chapter 1 through 13. They're slaves. They witness the plagues. In Exodus chapter 14, you get deliverance. Arguably the greatest story in the Old Testament. And what God wanted the people to know, I think from Exodus chapter 1 all the way through Exodus chapter 14, is God didn't give them a plan on how to become free. God wanted them to know that I am the one who makes you free. So it's not just telling them what to do so they can go do it and become free. It's God who wants them to know, I am the one who sets you free. I want you to trust in me. I want you to be dependent upon me of not just inheriting freedom, but now living into freedom, which is what the rest of the book of Exodus and the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, do. And this is huge. It's not just about helping set people free, but now it's taking a new community and teaching them what freedom's supposed to look like. So this is how Jews teach even the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, is that the Ten Commandments are given not just to tell people what to do and not to do, but it's God's way of teaching slaves how to become free people. This is what new community looks like. So when you read the book of Acts, it has, a th it has the same moves. In the book of Acts, you have people waiting. Many of those people have been waiting on a Messiah for decades and centuries. And now in Acts chapter 1 and at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, you have people waiting on the Holy Spirit. And then you have deliverance. 
through death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, it's deliverance through salvation, where now God has provided a way to move from uh, lost to found, to be transformed old to new. And, this, and again, just like Exodus, this is God, it's, it's not God saying, here's a plan. Now you do all these things and then you can be saved. It's God wanting humanity to know God's the only one who can save people. We surrender, we trust, we are dependent upon God for salvation. And then the rest of the book of Acts is this new community learning what it means to be free. All right, now, we could, we could think of a lot of different challenges to connection and community. Read the book of Acts, there are all kinds of challenges to community. I would argue that a number of Paul's letters that come after the book of Acts is because people were struggling with what it meant to live in community. And now for our graduating seniors and for a lot of young people, you have seen, you've seen the same stuff I've seen. I mean, you've seen the research that there are, are, are young people who choose after high school to no longer walk into a church and maybe no longer to have faith. And for many years, there was a gap year for them, a gap year when uh, some of them would walk away from faith and maybe walk away from the church. And the gap year was when they graduated high school and stepped into adulthood. We won't just say college, we'll say step into adulthood. Now research shows that there's actually four gaps for our young people. Because some of us were raised in families where we just went to church. We were raised as Buicks, right? Brought up in church. Like, that's just brought up as a church kid. Like, that's what we were, uh, we just brought up going to church. We didn't make decisions to go to church. Parents made decisions for us. We went to church. But now there are four gap years. From middle school to high school, there's a gap where people stop connecting to church and maybe faith. When our young people get their driver's license and maybe for the first time in their life taste a little bit of freedom, from their junior to senior year, there's a gap. And then after their senior year, as they transition into adulthood. And we could come up with a lot of other gaps that we witness in the church, in our culture, and in our community. There's a gap for a lot of singles. Whether you're single because you never got married, you're single because of divorce, you're single because your spouse died, there can be a gap in trying to stay plugged into community. I know it can be a challenge. There can be a gap for those who experience deep forms of grief in their life. Where's their place in the church? There's a gap for some people when they have their first child, their second child, and they're trying to stay connected to church. But when you go to church, it's like you're just chasing your kid around. You're not getting anything out of it. And, and there can be a gap. And we could think, and we could like fill up a whole whiteboard with challenges to community. I know we can do that, but here's the deal. We can come up with a lot of the problems of community and connection in our culture and in the church. Will we join God to creatively work with God and with each other to discover what solutions need to be? And this is what I want to talk about over the next few weeks. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this was their way forward. This was their way forward and this was God's way forward. Their way forward was to stay committed to the teachings of Christ, to commit to fellowship, to break bread together, and to pray. This was their way forward, and it is our way forward too. In communion at the Lord's table, this is a moment that you can't get anywhere else. For most meals in our lives, we choose who we eat with, but not at this table. God chooses who we eat with. God chooses the community 
old and young, black and white, rich and poor, the rested and the weary. Most meals in life, we choose the menu, not this meal. God chose the menu. Bread and wine, they are symbols, signs, and reminders. This is a meal that creates a craving. Literally, we take a little bit of a, a bread and a little bit of juice, and we know it doesn't satisfy our hunger or thirst. And in fact, I'm probably not the only one that your stomach starts growling a little bit more when you take communions on Sunday. But it creates a craving to live out the confession we make each week. We take this meal today for Jesus, with Jesus, and because of Jesus. And we take this meal for each other. We take this for our graduating seniors, our children, and our grandchildren. And we do this as witnesses, participants, and people who have been forever changed by its elements. In many traditions, what you speak to each other in this moment of taking communion is the body of Christ broken for you, or the peace of Christ. In this moment, we re-up, we renew our commitment, we are true to our confession. In this moment, we are reminded that we move as a church to the table and from the table. We move to the table to meet with Christ, our host, our savior, our Lord, and our friend. And we move from the table to live as Christ, as a body, a family, and a church. So right now in this meal, we proclaim the death and the life of Jesus until he returns. And for those of you in this space today who feel alone, this is the meal that reminds you and us, you are not alone. Right now we're gonna have a time of communion. For those of you who may be guests in our space, we have six tables set up, and if you'll just follow some of the members of this church as we go take the bread and the cup together, they'll show you the way. And over to my right, Suzanne Marrero will be here to receive people from prayer, for prayer. Shelly Eaton will be over here to my left. Doyle, Bradshaw, and Ephraim Marrero, two of our elders, will be in the front and the back to receive you. I'll be over here to my left. If there's anything we can pray over you or with you about, we are here for you. And now let's close our eyes, bow our heads. For Jesus, we thank you for everything that this meal means for us and for the world. Feed us, nurture us, fill our loneliness. And God, through this meal, connect us as a community. That we connect in and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that we connect as we move into this world to make a difference. It's in the name of